It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona, the 21st of October. Isn't that amazing? This month is slipping away. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 15. Last week we covered the first five verses in verse 6 today. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider this matter. The this is a demonstrative pronoun. It means this matter and this matter alone. Now that's a unique approach to things, approaching and dealing with one issue at a time. It's hard for folks to stay focused, I know that. We wander all over the board. It's kind of like Chinese checkers. You hit it once and they scatter, and the subjects scatter. But the apostles and the elders of the church came together and they came together with an objective in mind, and that was to deal with one issue. And that's the way to handle something, one issue at a time. Now, you'll, you'll want to notice in verse 7, and when there had been much disputing, there's a translation here, a translation error. And you all know what it is because you know what should have been here, even though it isn't here. After much praying, I'm being somewhat sarcastic. You didn't catch on to that. After much discussion, or verse, see me, we're in verse, uh, uh, verse seven, I think, verse seven, and uh, that. Um, uh, your verses up there, after, oh, after much discussion, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. So, no issue of biblical relevance has ever been solved by prayer. Now, I want you to chew on that until you get an upset stomach. Prayer is not the solution to most problems. And particularly, it is not the solution to problems that are just simply the misunderstanding of the scripture. God will never use prayer as a means of helping you solve your problem. Now what he may do, what prayer may do is humble your mind to be more to, to be more receptive. But that's a private matter, not a corporate matter. That's a private issue. People who come prepared having prayed, prayer is not the solution, but prayer lends itself to giving us a solution by the changing of our disposition, not of our truth. Understand that. We need to get, we need to, we're going to look at that now from the chapter 15 down. We're going to look at all of these instances of prayer that we have in verse, we get it into more in chapter 16. And you'll, you'll notice that there is just no, no comparison to what they were doing and what we think we're doing today. They don't match. So God made a choice in verse 7. There had been much disputing. Peter rose up. Now we have Peter. Who did we have before? Do you remember? We had Barnabas and Paul. And now we have 
Who's standing back? Who's back on the scene? Peter's back on the scene. And he rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So then there was a yaus. If there is an us, what else must there be? Somewhere along the line. There's going to have to be a them or a those. And you here, you know the you is plural. It's a corporate pronoun. God made a choice among. That's why the word, uh, why the word is in is translated among, because the you is a corporate pronoun. There's an example of it. So, <clears throat> he's checking me up here. Uh, unto uh, and he said unto them, and them is plural, and uh, then the brethren, you know. Uh, that how a good while ago among us, you see all those pronouns there, among us is in whom in, and it's, it's not in us because the us is what? Plural. So it is among us when the pronoun is plural, the preposition is among. Now you know that is the rule and, and that makes everything clear in that issue. So God made a choice among us that the Gentiles, so the, the us is probably referring to the people that Peter was associating himself with here, and that's the apostles. He had made a choice among the apostles that who was going to be the spokesman to the Gentiles? Peter. That he was going to be the spokesman primarily amongst the Gentiles. By my mouth they should hear the word of the gospel and uh, believe. So they were going to believe not as the result of praying, but as the result of hearing, hear, hearing, hearing, not praying. Oh, we have a hard time with that. Hearing the word. Hearing the word. You can pray till now until you're green in the gills. And praying will not bring one element of truth, even though it may help you to be more receptive. But you better check it out with the Word. God made a choice among us that, well, uh, that, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the Word of the Gospel and believe. So the difference here that we're dealing with is that the Gospel was going to be expanded into incorporating the believing Gentiles and the gospel was going to come out of the Jewish covenant out of what Christ taught the disciples and the disciples became the apostles what they had been taught but had its origin in Judaism and was going to be then broadcast out from Peter and reach into the heart of the Gentiles. That's God's procedure. If I was you, I wouldn't argue with God as to why He did it that way. <clears throat> Verse 8. Because we, we've covered some of this yesterday, last week. And God which knoweth the hearts. Now remember, He doesn't change your thinking. But He does understand your heart. He bear them witness, and notice verse 8, giving them, them. Who is the them? Who, who is the them? Take your time. Time's up. He gave them the Holy Spirit in the same way as he did unto whom? Us. 
there has to be then two groups. There's the usins and there is the themins. Yeah. So you got the usins and the themins. The us and the thems. Two groups. I gotta emphasize that you have two groups here because you have two pronouns. You have first person pronoun and you have second or third person pronoun. That's always very important to, to realize. God gave to some the same thing that he gave to others but at different times and what he gave to the to, to um, us here, getting back to the scriptural pronoun, what he gave unto us was what happened on Acts chapter 2 and then what happened to the them happened in what chapter of Acts? Chapter 10. That's right. Chapter 2 and chapter 10 where the Holy Spirit, the, um, the influence of the truth of God as delivered unto the Gentiles or unto the Jews was the very same thing that was given unto the corporate Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Were those two events ever to be repeated? No. They were just one-time events because if there was a third time event, it would mean that we had a different classification of people somewhere that are not Jew or Gentile. Well, that's not possible. If you know the scheme of things. So there were two groups of people, the Jew and the Gentile, the covenant people and the non-covenant people. Is there anybody in between? No. And remember now, they're going to be discussing the source of the covenant uh, issue here is the, is, is the issue of circumcision. That's the subject that we're going to be dealing with. And it, it was introduced in verse 1 uh, when they were still in Antioch. And now uh, when they're down and when they have back, come back to Jerusalem, that is the issue that is taken up again to resolve. Folks, it has to be resolved by discussion. Why didn't God just do it? See, the problem is that we try to sneak into God and sneak in the back door. We call that sneaking in prayer. Coming in the back door for God's miracles that He only worked through the Jews and the Gentiles at what two occasions? Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 and then the apostles then were able to lay their hands on those until those people whom they laid their hands on died and that was the end. Nothing since. God does not work unilaterally with anyone since the fall of Jerusalem 70 AD. And, and Jesus and 1 Corinthians chapter I think it's 13 says the same thing in plain words that when the word is completed all of these things will come to an end and we we keep trying to recreate we try to re sneak our way into that age in the back door and folks it doesn't work you know look at real life Christian people hurt just like non-Christian people non-Christian people feel good just like some Christian people feel real good. There's no difference. And when it comes to death, we all die. You can't change that. God doesn't determine your life or your death. He doesn't determine your health. He doesn't change your health. If you're going to change it, you're going to have to shape up and eat right, Greg. That'll be that'll help. You see, and when we get when we get out of that mysticism, that really came from Hinduism. No, absolutely. 
apart from His Word. You see, you, you, there's, that's a double question. Well, according to His will, and His will has to be revealed. So if we don't know what His revealed will is, we have no clue as to what to do. We don't know what it is. We're just playing in the, we're just shooting in the dark. God doesn't like that. What? Well, He's faithful to do what He says He would do. But He's not going to do things that was promised to one age that He hasn't promised to our age. We've got to make sure that we're in our right age. We're not in, we're not in the Jewish age, so God doesn't do today what He did in the Jewish age. We're not in the patriarchal age. He doesn't do today what He did in the patriarchal age. He doesn't do to us what He did in the apostolic age, in the age of the apostles. He doesn't do that for us today. Because that was the limitation of faith. Now we are in the situation of faith. So there is no certainty. And as soon as you reach and grasp for certainty, you've lost your faith. You can't have it both ways. We have to now understand what it is God has said and we do what He said about things that we cannot see. So that we are assured that there is no certainty. We can't say we know that God did this. As soon as we do, we've lost our salvation. We don't know what God is doing and not doing. I think God, if you were in the series on the, uh, the heavenly host, that's a hope that opens up a big issue. But there are things that the heavenly host are doing, but the Bible doesn't tell us what they're doing today. Why doesn't, why doesn't it tell us? We wouldn't understand the language. We can't, even, we can't even get the us and the them right. How can we expect to get things that are out of our realm right? Let's quit kidding ourselves. Well, <laughs> so we have the two groups, the us and the them, in verse 8. And he put no difference between us in verse 9. Between us and them. And what was the thing that took away the difference between the Jew and the Gentile? Is that God had given both of them access to what? The Spirit. Or the breath of God. The content of God is really the right way to put it. There is no Greek word for spirit, by the way. You all know that. It doesn't exist. We say it because we're just, we're just so ingrained in using terms that we've been brought up with that are not biblical. They're just not there. And we have, and so we kind of use them generically, folks. And let's not get too, too cranky about them. You know, with people about those things because uh, it's just like prayer. People don't have a clue as to the word, what the word Bible, what the Bible word for prayer means. What does it mean? Quickly, somebody. Okay, it means to make, to tell God what He can expect out of you. Isn't that just the opposite of how we use prayer? We keep, t we want God to bring us something, but prayer, the word prayer simply means telling God what He can expect out of you. Now there are other words that are used, request and ask, but they all have their conditions. Let's not forget the condition. And we also have a specific audience for some prayer. And we also have a specific place for some praying. Some things are that are done are not to be done in the general assembly. Jesus said, for instance, in the Old Covenant, He said, when you pray, be public about it. Yeah, He said, be private about it. Well, you get the, all get the point. See, we have to, we, so you, you have to consider the place as well as the subject and 
not everybody uh, remembers that in these issues. Well, let's go on. So he is saying that the thing that made the Jews just like the Gentiles was the thing that happened in Acts 2 and the thing that happened in Acts 10. And there was a evidence of that activity. And so that was their evidence that they were of the same, had, had the same source, had, had the same acceptance of God. So in verse 10, Now therefore, why do you tempt God? Well, we've got to think about that a minute. Why do you tempt God? I think that's scary. Why do you tempt God by... You're wanting to put something upon... Now, what, what, what is the discussion here? Remember, all the way back to verse 1, he's, just, he's, in, he's developing the theme, giving us a background, so they can, so they can reach a solution. A solution to the issue at hand. Cannot be achieved by prayer. It has to be achieved by biblical solution, by revelation. It has to come by revelation. God never reveals anything true to anybody. Has never since the apostolic age. That was what the Spirit did. The Spirit does not function that way now because if it did, that's why so many just throw the Bible out because there's no use for it. And you'd be justified in doing so. Absolutely get rid of it. Because if God speaks outside of His Word by any other means, then get rid of the one thing that He has given us His message through. We don't need it. That's called blasphemy in the Bible. Huh? <coughs> oh, 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 I know. I've, I've heard all of that stuff. Yeah. And the people are off. If there's 50 different ways of going, and of course, that's the basis of Buddhism and of Hinduism. And they have in, in crept their way into the Christian, so-called Christian community in a way that it's hard to find Christians who don't think in terms of Hinduism. Now, you see, and I have a high regard for Hindus. I have a really high regard for them because of, you know, culturally. You remember, you remember Paul Winter and uh, his father-in-law at that time was a Hindu priest. And we had many, many chats together and, and it just... Uh, so many things, they're so much clearer on, but you see, they get everything resolved through meditation. We call the same thing, the same thing, prayer. They get it through meditation. That's the same thing that Buddhism does. They get it through meditation. We call the very same procedure, very same thing. We call it prayer. They call it meditation. And they use it as prayer as well. But they haven't got a clue what the Bible means about prayer. The Bible just cuts through all that and tells us, you know, we need to be telling God what He can expect out of us. That's, that's the heart of prayer in the big sense. Now, now therefore, why do you tempt God? The word tempt has the idea of why are you daring God to do something that is not in His plan, outside of His will, outside of what He has revealed and made known to everyone. How come you're tempting God not to do something to you when you're doing something against God and what He has said for you to do? 
rebellion. That's the key. Most of our expressions and things that we believe today are really a, an act of rebellion in one level or another to avoid doing what we ought to do and being what we ought to be. Now, let me illustrate it like this. The, the word for fear is comes from the Greek word phobia. Do you have any phobias, Lana? I didn't want. I, I, I don't. I don't. But I mean, what about you? <laughs> oh, you do. You have a phobia. Well, can, can you name name one that's generic? Okay. Do you have a phobia there? So what can you do to avoid your phobia? Okay, so you don't like rattlesnakes in your house. No. And so the way you avoid that phobia is to simply eliminate contact with them the best you can. And you don't know it, but you've just been—you've been given a whammo, but you don't know it. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's got a 45 <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> the word phobia is the word that's translated fear. Now, folks, that's not just—it's it's the word. Where do we get our word for phobia? Well. We get it from the Greek. Look in the Webster's Dictionary. The origin of the word is Greek. And so the, the, there's no magic to the word, but um, it means literally to the, the fear is it, um, avoiding things that displease you or in God's case, avoiding things that displease God. And developing a phobia around those things that displease God. Do you have a phobia about life in general if there were no snakes or spiders? You fear going to the store? Well, you might. <laughs> Um, do you have any fear going into your kitchen normally? Well, of course you got a cat now. That might be a new phobia. But you see, when we live outside where we are, where we live outside of our phobia, we're not afraid. And when the Bible speaks about fear, it simply means to act with caution about how we deal with things that God may be displeased with. It means to pay attention to life if you draw a circle If you draw a circle and you put the love of God as the content of that circle, but you know outside of that line, outside of that circle, you had better develop a what? A phobia about things outside of that circle. A phobia that people ought to have today is false religion. We ought to be scared to death of Calvinism and of anything that's not true to the Scripture. That includes you, Nathan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, so we, we have the love of God, and of course, perfect love casts out fear. But it casts fear out of the arena of love. It doesn't break down the barriers. That's where I'm getting my That's I borrowed that from uh, 
was Bollinger. Bollinger. Yeah. yeah. This is from a lexicon, a critical lexicon, and um, I'm just expanding on the little notes I had in there, kind of showing it to Neil. So, when you look at that word fear, it doesn't mean that in in the right realm that we have any nervousness, we have any fear, no no timidity. But we act with caution because we don't want to go out of the boundary, out of God's boundary. Because what are the consequences if you go out of God's boundary? Well, we better know where the boundary is. So the word tempt really means that these folks were, were tempting to go and break through the boundaries of love, the boundaries of compassion, the boundaries of joy, the boundaries of God's mercy, the boundary of grace, and break into an arena. And he says, that's a dangerous thing to do. You don't want to tempt God. You don't want to put God in a spot where He has to deal with you. Don't ever go there. Now you see, what they were doing is they were adding, they were adding to what had been taken away and bringing it back into a new covenant. People don't distinguish between the covenants. And these folks were the same way right now that we're getting a perfect example of, in principle, of where we are in every issue today. We simply don't understand that we are in a covenant with God. We're not in the apostolic covenant. It ceased with the fall of Jerusalem. All of the things that were a part of that apostolic age have ceased with it so that now we have complete and thorough whole faith. H-W-H-O-L-E. We are in the situation of faith in its completed form. It's the aim of God from the very beginning of creation to now. For 2,000 years we have been in the situation of faith and people keep trying to pull us back into certainty. And what have, well, how have they done that? Primarily through Calvinism in all of its many forms. And I, you know, I have most, a lot of my friends, or probably most of them are Calvinistic in some way. Um, all of you are probably Calvinistic in some way, and I probably still have some residue, but don't tell me about it, because I'll get mad. I want to be Calvinist free. <clears throat> the Calvinist, this is the Calvinist free zone. You know, that's, we ought to put that on our banner. Oh, I tell you. Well, it takes six months to find out what Calvinism meant first. Yeah. <laughs> well, almost everything everybody believes today is Calvinistic. You know, we, we, we don't know it. We Neil and I are attending a class in Mesa on one Sunday a month, and the people there uh, are, uh, are Calvinists. And it, you know, it's really hard for me to sit in there. Yeah. And we have to believe it on what God has said about things we cannot know for sure that we don't know there is a God. We believe there is a God based on evidence. But that keeps us in the situation of faith. Uh, in, in 1 John 5, I think it's verse 14. I'm, I'm not sure about that. But it says, uh, by these things you can know. You can know. By what things? By the things that are written. So you have to believe what is written. People, I've had people go to that verse with me and debate, for, for instance, uh, in, in debating uh, 
we used to do that. They don't, they didn't, they don't do that anymore. You know, I, those those were great days. Um, and we, oh yeah, we got mad. Yeah, but you know, we weren't hostile. Today, there's a hostility in the air. Um, but I forgot where I was going. Is that figure? Oh, First John five. These things are written so that you may know. Oh, she said, there's certainty. There is certainty. No. These things are written so that you may know. So what do we have to do with what is written? We have to read it. We have to read it. We have to believe it. And it is only as good as the evidence that supports it. That was the purpose of the miraculous age, was to give credence to the message. And we forget that. We think somehow there's still ongoing, as you said, Nathan, earlier, ongoing revelation. Everything's new. Everything's fresh. So therefore, we have to have continuing revel. We have to have continuing evidence, proof, and that that gives rise to the uh, the continuing of the miracles, folks. That is that just disregards everything that God has said, which is perfect, complete. It is final. We are in the situation of faith so that everything we have handled, we have a handle on, is what we believe about things that God has said that we cannot see. That's the definition of faith. Sure. That's why science is But there is nothing new, so everything they look for has already been there. Right. Yeah. And it's just uh, uh, discovering things. And it's our same way in the scriptures. We simply don't know. There's so many things we don't know. We don't get. We don't dare get proud because there's so many things we don't know that every every day, every time we read, sit down, and really ponder these things, we discover something new that's been there all the time. We don't create it, but it just comes to our mind. So that's that's what the unsearchable riches that Christ Paul says in, in the Colossians. The unsearchable riches. You know you can't exhaust the truth. Now, so when it comes to tempting God means to to not have a fear about transgressing, not to walk with caution in any area of life. And we we have to be so, so careful that we don't dare God. Don't put God into a position where we are daring Him to do something drastic. Why tempt you, God? And by the way, I guess that's how I would define fear. I was asked that yesterday in an email. What does fear mean? So it came out of that too. Um, <clears throat> tempting is is reaching toward the getting as close. Let me illustrate it like this: a chariot is going down a canyon. Now, how, how many of you you've been up a Apache Trail? There are. Have you been a, down the Apache Trail? Uh, we'll pray for you. Uh, <laughs> but the Apache Trail has one area where it's straight down on one side, and there's a little ledge up here where the highway is. I mean, the road. It's not quite two lanes. Um, you have to go real fast to get driving it. It's straight down and it's straight up. And you got this little ledge at one place toward the maybe 75% up the trail. 
and uh, you, you don't meet anybody on that road because you don't pass. I mean, it's a matter of just simply watching them go down the hill quickly. Um, but you have you have a chariot, you know, a carriage. I can't use wheels here, uh, by my automobiles, but and you got a horse, two horses carrying um, a chariot, and you're going down this ledge, straight down and straight up, just barely enough room, just barely enough room for your vehicle. And uh, one guy, he comes down, and, and this is a part of a race, and they were racing, racing, and, and one guy came down, and he got right, I mean, uh, about a half of the tire of, of the wheel was kind of overlapping the edge of the road, kind of like up there on Apache Junction Trail. And boy, this guy has a lot of skill. How close he can get to the edge, how close he can get to the, you know. And the next guy, but the guy that won is the guy that came down and he he clung to the cliff side, the, the upside, as close as he could get so that there was four or five inches between him and the edge. And he got the job and the other guy was wondering, how did he get the job? Because you were so good and you took a chance. Whereas this guy didn't take any chances. He played as close to safety as he could get. You see, some people live their Christian life as close to the edge as they can get. And other people live their Christian life as safe as they can get. That's how we ought to live it. All right, one more thing, quickly. I think. Let's look at verse 11. We're almost out of time. Um, <clears throat> but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And who, who is the we? The Gen Jews. Who are the they? The theans. They are the Gentile. He's speaking about two corporate bodies here. Oh, I've got so many, you know, it's just like uh, in uh, Romans 3. Um, in Romans 6, he, he talks about, he's talking about the corporate bodies and about the Jew and the Gentile. What is, what is Romans uh, 3, 3.23? Can we find that real quick? I, I did. I shouldn't have taken time for this. I think at Romans 3:23, we got it on the screen. Yeah. Um, let's look at Romans 6:23. Maybe that's the one. No. Romans 6:23 says. Or 3:23. If I don't find it real quickly, I'll I'll go on. For all, okay. For all, for all have sinned. Now, who who is the all? Well, what has he been talking about? He's been talking about what two groups? Jews and the Gentiles. In chapter one. In chapter 1, he is talking about the Gentiles. And man, he just got, he's got the Jews all lathered up. They really believe what he's saying about the Gentiles. Oh, they are one messed up bunch of people. Really bad. I mean, there is, oh, you cannot excel their evilness. Then in chapter 2, he turns the tables on them. He starts talking about the Jews and their joy turns to somberness real quick. And so when he talks about all here, he's talking about all groups 
And the two groups specifically are the Jew and the Gentile. And all have sinned. All groups of people, all, all factions of people have sinned. It doesn't mean that every person has sinned. Well, they probably have. But that's not what he's talking about. And they all come short of the glory of God. Both groups, those of a covenant and those outside a covenant. You know, we have Job as a perfect man. We have Cornelius as a perfect man. We have lots of perfect people in the, new, in the Bible. No one has to sin. The fact that God is merciful proves that. Is that we don't have to, but when we do, He has provided a remedy. Not saying that we have to do so, but we don't have to do so, but even when we do so, He has a remedy. That's the mercy of God. Part of it. Now let me conclude. That was free. Verse 11. You believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we will be saved even as they. So both groups, both groups. He's not saying here that everybody is saved. He's saying the Jews and the Gentiles both have access. The same thing as Romans 3.23. Everybody has access now. Both Jew and Gentile. Are there any, is there anybody else but a Jew or a Gentile? No, a, a Gentile is simply someone who is not a Jew. That's the biblical definition. Everybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. That means everyone who is not in a covenant relationship with God is a non-covenant person. There are no options. I don't care how good you are. It's whether or not you're in a covenant or not. But notice the verse of this. The, the, the idea of this. I want to make one statement and we're over time. Um, I, I do. I, I, we get over time. Stay here. We believe that through the grace, it's a noun. The grace. It means that it's a noun. It's not operative. It's stagnant. And specific, but let me tell you this in conclusion. The realm of grace. Grace is the object of faith. The faith. It is the structure built of faith. Grace, the realm of grace. See, it's the grace. The realm of grace, the realm of grace is the object of the structure of faith. Faith builds what? Well, eventually it builds, it is the, it is the comprehensiveness of grace. It is that which has structured grace. Faith is the process by which grace is developed. Both are nouns, but faith is the means through which grace is arrived at. We believe all of that which has been revealed to us and that completion of revelation is what has produced the realm of grace. Capture the definition. Grace. Otherwise we use the word faith instead of grace. That's right. But he's talking about what grace accomplished. I mean what what faith accomplished. Their faith of Jew and the Gentile alike. It accomplished the completion of of that is the grace built by the faith, not just a faith, but the faith is is objective. The uh, and uh, faith is subjective. The faith is objective. I'm talking about objective 
faith, that which is revealed once and all for the saints, Jude verse 3, once for all under the saints, and that builds to us the completion of God's realm. And it includes everything that God has done for all of mankind equally. So, was the law grace? No, because it was designed for whom? Only for those who the covenant to for what purpose? The law was added to the promise. And so once the promise has been arrived, we don't need the law anymore because it has come. Well, that's, that's the book of Galatians is built around that theme because the, the, the promise that was made to Abraham had no covenant. It was just a promise. And then in Galatians, uh, the entire book deals with the, um, the law was added to the promise for the purpose of bringing in the Messiah. That was, it was the tutor to bring us to Christ. It was added, and the word added is there in the text. I can't remember. It's, uh, I don't think it's in uh, chapter uh, either 4 or 3. Um, so, the faith is what structures grace. So, uh, let me ask you one more question then. We're way over time. Boy, the pay's going to be nice this week. Um, then, is creation grace? Has it been revealed? Yes. Who can partake of creation? Everybody. So, see, grace is a part of creation. And, and creation is a part of grace. Because it's for all of mankind equally. That's the key. Grace is that which God has provided for all of mankind equally. The only thing that He hasn't provided for all of mankind equally is the law. That's why it had to be nailed to the cross, done away with, and ended in the fall of Jerusalem at the destruction of the temple. Folks, we have to leave. It's been wonderful to be with you today. I wanted to talk about some other things, but I was slow of speech, apparently. Father, we thank you for the opportunity, and we are committed to using this opportunity for revealing what you have said, and when we err, we ask you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.